The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 13th, 2020. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. And welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holt, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, and my engineer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Well, here we are live in the studio. We came in. We're, we were really excited to be able to get out of our home for a few hours today. And also, we wiped down everything with disinfectant in the studio, so we're safe. And nobody's been in here. I mean, it's been pretty, pretty small group coming in, and we've been very, very careful. Well, I'm really excited. Joining me on the phone this morning, all the way from New York, will be Dr. Harriet Fraud. Dr. Fraud is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York City. She is a well-published author and writes about the pressures of family and the economics of the United States. We will be talking about the Corona-19 virus, how it is affecting us both politically and some of the mental health challenges we were having. I'm always thrilled to have her because I know that we can explore some of the in-depth truth about these types of situations and how they are affecting lives, particularly of women. She is also a regular guest of Dr. Richard Wolf and his show Economic Update on KBBF 89.1 FM every Tuesday from 11 to 12 p.m. It's really, it's really been a challenge. And, you know, as you know, yesterday was Easter uh, Easter Sunday, and it's also I belong to a woman's group, and we normally meet once a month for a dinner. And this was our this was our meeting this day, and we were able to um, we were able to go on to Zoom, and it was really really quite exciting. And also, when we think of the technology, I can't believe that during Easter Sunday we were actually to go able to go inside of the Vatican and see some of the beautiful art and some of the beautiful flooring. I mean, it's amazing how beautiful it is and how good it looks. But you know, you know, Easter is a very, very interesting time because it's kind of a transition time as far as religions go. You know, during that time when after, uh, they're celebrating not only um, Easter Sunday, but the whole idea is supposedly the resurrection of Christ. He was crucified on Good Friday, and then supposedly he rose on uh, Easter Sunday. And we were really blessed. Ken and I uh, we were listening via Zoom again to a unity uh, uh, uh a celebration of Easter, and it was very, very interesting. The minister brought one thing to to a head for me. I mean, really made a lot of sense. Is that at this time that we're all kind of hunkered down in our homes? It's really a time for reflection, a time to look within our own self and maybe look at what life, how valuable it is, how beautiful it is, and that maybe there are some changes that we have to make. We have to start setting our priorities maybe for each other rather than some of the ideas that we have. I mean, we live in a culture where it seems like Easter becomes the Easter bunny. Easter becomes Easter baskets, you know, and we forget we forget to go introspection. And also, a lot of the myths that are surrounding Easter, we think 
think of it as a Christian holiday, but at the same time, some of the rituals that we go through are actually very, very ancient. And I did a little bit of research, and I love when I do these shows, I was sitting in front of my computer, and I start scratching my head, and I says, where did Easter come from? Where'd the Easter basket come from? Where'd the Easter bunny? So I'm going to give you a little bit of history here about Easter. Well, Sunday was uh, Easter Sunday, and there are many ways of celebrating it, both to remember Jesus and to celebrate other ancient rituals. And as I say many, many times, our history is our strength. So I thought I would give all my listeners a little history lesson about Easter. The naming of the celebration as Easter seems to go back to the name of a pre-Christian goddess in England called Astara, that's spelled E-O-S-T-R-E, who was celebrated at the beginning of spring. And if you remember, on March 19th, one day after my birthday, we had the spring equinox. Okay, so this was celebrated at the beginning of spring. The only reference to this goddess comes from the writings of a man by the name of Verneval, V-E-N-E-R-A-B-L-E-B-D, a British monk who lived in the late 7th and early 8th century. So it goes back quite a ways, way before Christ, way before the idea of Christianity. And then let's look at the egg. I mean, you know, I mean, I can't believe this year was really interesting. My neighbor across the street from me, they do an annual Easter egg hunt, and you can find them in the front of their yard the day before Sunday, Easter Sunday, and they're dying all these eggs, and the kids are really excited. Well, we didn't have that this year. And it was really kind of disappointing, some of these rituals. And what we do, we don't even know what we're doing or why we're celebrating it. So let's talk about the egg. The egg is an ancient symbol of new life, has been associated with pagan festivals celebrating spring. From a Christian perspective, Easter eggs are said to represent Jesus' emergence from the tomb and resurrection. Actually, from the pagan perspective, the egg is all about fertility, all about birth, all about life. But it's interesting how they incorporated all these things. And then let's talk about the Easter Bunny, of course. You know, I mean, it was really kind of sad. I brought my great-granddaughter, Satori, a little Easter Bunny, and I was a little bit nervous about sending it to her, so I'm going to be saving it. But the story of the Easter Bunny is really interesting. The Easter Bunny is thought to have become common in the 19th century. Rabbits usually give birth to a big litter of babies called kittens. Oh, I didn't know that. So they became a symbol of new life and has it that the Easter Bunny lays, decorates, and hides eggs as they are also a symbol of new life. You know, here this Easter basket, the Easter Bunny, the egg, Easter, it's, there's so much history around it and so much. It's all about the emergence of life. And if anything happening, what's happening today in today's world is the value of life. You know, I often say, and it's kind of interesting, I often say, are we a nation of life or a nation of death? You know, $730 to the military, and here we are in this pandemic. I can't believe what I heard on Amy Goodman prior to this, that that they had warnings before that a lot of these deaths could could be prevented. And the United States, who always claims to be the best country in the world, the number one, yeah, we're now number one of the most outbreaks and the most deaths. 
I mean, we're very, you know, Italy is close to us, but we're still top dog. So we start, have to start looking at our priorities. You know, what do we put first? I mean, when you start looking at it, everybody's screaming about the economy failing. It's failing because we cannot consume. Is that what we're based on? Consumption? Not love, not equality, not equal rights, but just consumption? I mean, there is a lot to think about. And here we are, supposedly, consumers, and what we need to consume is masks and protective uh, materials to uh, prevent the, uh, uh, the virus from spreading, and there's a shortage. So we have to start looking at our priorities. And when we were celebrating Easter, I thought to myself, all these beautiful, you know, Amy Goodman announced prior to this that one of her staff just gave birth to a little boy. Another, another life has come into the world. You know, think of all the babies that are born during this time. What is their future if we don't start looking at our priorities? That doesn't mean somebody is bad. You know, I'd almost like to call our president and say, you know, I don't want to call you a bad guy. I want to call you a good guy. Get off your duff and start getting things rolling the way they're supposed to. Take care of the women. Take care of the children. Take care of the workers. You know, consumers need money. We need builders of products. We need each other. And what's so interesting to me about this pandemic, and I've said it several times, is it's global. That means we're all in this together, and we have to work it out together. And we have to stop these wars. We have to stop this ugliness that feels like it's eating up the whole planet and start looking at our priorities and start putting our people first, people of the planet. We are children of the earth. The great spirit, the creator, put us on this beautiful earth. It gazes everything. When we go in our backyard, Ken and I, and we sit and relax, and I look at the flowers, and I hear the birds, and I, I hear the bees buzzing. We have bees in the backyard. I say to myself, this is what we should be putting our priorities in. Not war, not greed, not consumption, but life. Life. Well, we're going to take a little musical break. And you know, what I decided to do... I play. The, I, I, I want to explain something. I realize, and maybe most people don't notice it, but I know I've had this conversation with Ken. He is on my producer, and we talk about the music all the time. And he says, you know, you've got to put some new music on. I says, I know I play a lot of these songs. I repeat them. And the reason I repeat them, especially the song I'm going to play today, is the Prayer of St. Francis, sung by uh, Alia Harry. And the reason I like to play this, particularly in times like this, is it's a time that we should be asking Asking for guidance, asking which way should we go, how do we contribute? You know, it's it's interesting just talking about contributions. Uh, I have uh, my little sister Evelyn Holtz. It's it's amazing. She's never really been very political. She's a she's a bridge person. In fact, she's a bridge uh, coach, and she does all kinds of things around bridge. She's traveled around the world teaching bridge. And you know, Mo, I used to talk to her about this and that. She said, "Oh, I can't be bothered with that," or we would have debates, or you know, we just she wanted to go on. She just wanted to talk about the things that she was talking about. Well, in the last two years. 
I am so shocked that my sister has become so aware and so open, and I, I am so proud of her. So I asked her the other day, I said, hey, Evelyn, what are you doing? What are you, how are you spending your time? She says, oh, she says, I'm writing postcards to the people in Philadelphia. I says, you're writing postcards? She says, yeah, I've been working with the Democratic Party, and we've been sending postcards all over the, all over the United States. And I said, well, what do they say? And what, it was just introducing themselves, encouraging them to look at their ballots and make sure they go out to vote. And I was amazed that she, here we are in a pandemic. And, and not only that, I found out she goes and buys the postcards and the postage. So this is to, not only is it a to, uh, volunteer activity, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's also it's coming money out of her pocket that she's donating in order to do this. And there are many, many people out there that are doing this, many environmentalists that are having uh, Zoom meetings and all kinds of things to try to keep things moving. And right now, right now, since we're all hunkered at home, it's time to start educating ourselves, start understanding what the world is truly about. And why I picked this song, The Prayer of St. Francis, because this is the way I personally feel. And I wish everybody felt this way. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. What a request. Make me an instrument of thy peace. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I think when I remember John Lennon's song, Imagine, when I close my eyes sometimes, I imagine a beautiful world filled with peace and harmony and people getting along. I mean, we've come to the point where oil and diamonds and all that other stuff becomes more important than human life. And I know when my great-granddaughter was born, and I remember when I heard that first cry, I thought to myself, what a miracle. What an absolute miracle. And although I watched her, you know, I watched my granddaughter's body grow, I knew there was a baby in there, but yet when she came out, and I looked at her and I saw the miracle of life. I asked myself, where does this all begin? And who are we? And also the realization. You know, I just had my 80th birthday. And the realization that one day that little girl is going to be 80. There's a lot of lifetime that a child has to live from the beginning of birth to the end of life. And we need to make that a quality life. A life that's worth living but the only way that we're going to be able to do that is each and every one of us demand that we have peace and equality. And I believe it starts with this prayer. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to play the prayer of St. Francis sung by Ari Hari. When I come back, when we return, I will be talking with Dr. Harriet Fraud, who is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York. Dr. Fraud is also a regular guest on Richard Wolf's Economic Update, which I'm so happy to announce that we do have it here on uh, KBBF 89.1 FM every Tuesday from 11 to 12 p.m. And Harriet and I will be talking about the uh, what's happening with the coronavirus and its implications around mental health as well as how it's affecting women and the economy. Where there is hatred, let me breathe. 
to console rather than to be consoled, to understand, to try to understand. You know, it's so important. Uh, Ken and I, you know, were home and we were able to rent a wonderful movie, The Story of Mr. Rogers. And it was just amazing how he talked about how to forgive. Not only how to forgive, but how to get in touch with your own anger and your own frustration and to let go of things, to relax, to let go and to see, to look around, to see all that you have. And to look at your anger and ask yourself, why am I angry? And maybe try to work it out. It's just an amazing film. Well, for you just joining in, you are listening to KBBF 89.1 FM, Calistoga, Santa Rosa. And I want to remind my listeners, the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of KBBF, its board of directors, its members, or women's spaces. Thank you. And I want to just thank everybody out there for listening. And, you know, I just, I know, I know we're all struggling. But hopefully, hopefully we can answer some of your questions. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. And I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest joining me on the phone. And I want to know it is an absolute honor to introduce her. And I like to think of her. She isn't one of our regulars. I mean, she comes on about every three months and just amazing. I'm so honored to have her on, Dr. Harriet Fraud. Well, Dr. Fraud, welcome. Welcome to Women's Spaces once again. Thank you. I am glad to be here. Well, you know, I know you're hunkered out somewhere. Where I know you, you live in New York, but where are you right now? I'm in the the wilds of western Massachusetts in a tiny rural town. Oh, my goodness. How was that for you? Good, I hope. It's okay. You know, I, I miss the vitality of New York, which wouldn't be there anyway. You know, this is a, a pall and a plague cast over the land. But this area is very careful. People are very careful to wear masks and gloves and so on and there's no cases here because there's not very few people here not like new york with its eight million people but i'm aware that we have more deaths than any other nation in the world has had and i am concerned that we're in such careless self-absorbed hands as this plague rages well you know we like to be number one right harriet well here we are (laughs) Well, before before we go on with the conversation, and I'm I'm really so thrilled to have you. I just love talking to you. And by the way, you were the one who recommended the Mister Rogers, and you were absolutely yeah. it was absolutely right. It's just a delightful film, and it reminds you, it reminds you of how important it is to to excel for yourself. Anyway, let me just tell our listeners just a little bit about you. It's it's hard, you know. There's so many things that I like to say. Doctor Harriet Fraud is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in private practice in New York City. She speaks regularly and writes about the insecting, excuse me, the intersecting crisis in the United States relationships, personal life, politics, and economics. She was the founding member of the second wave of the women's movement, which we, I was very much a part of, and has remained an activist for her entire life. She appears regularly on the radio show Economic uh, Update. And also, uh, she's written several books, and you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about those books. One of them is Class and Economics, Marxism Without Guarantees. And today we will be talking about the history and implications of what's happening with the coronavirus right now. And also, some of the mental health issues. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Harriet? Yes, 
I have a podcast called Capitalism Hits Home that um, really does address the way personal and political and economic life intersect. I'm about to start another podcast, which will soon have its maiden voyage, called It's Not Just Personal, addressed to all the people interested in or part of the mental health world about how political and economic forces affect people's mental health. Very important information. And you know, what's interesting, when when I found out, when I first met you and found out about your work and everything, I was really very, very interested. And I know it's really important, particularly this is a women's show. It's very important for women to understand what women have gone through, how they've developed themselves, and how they've achieved what they have achieved. So why not give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you got involved with politics and therapy. I mean, what what an integration that is. What motivated you? What inspired you? Well, my father was a leftist, and although he had only cameo appearances in my life, he was a strong influence, and he gave us all sorts of very good children's literature about people like Harriet Tubman, about um, people like George Washington Carver. He was, my parents went through the McCarthy era, And my father explained to us that sometimes people go to jail for good reasons and they are our red badge of courage, all these people going to jail because of their beliefs, which people should never be jailed for. And so he was a strong left influence. And then I was a child of the 60s. And so I had, you know, politics around me and was part of the civil rights movement and the movement to end the war in Vietnam, and then from there became a founding mother of the, what was then called the Women's Liberation Movement, which, in which, in our great enthusiasm and naivete, we felt that we at the bottom, if we rise together, everything will change. Boy, I sure... Way, I, but <laughs> we hoped. I sure remember those times. You know, it was very interesting. In fact, it was so interesting. I always, my, I was called my mother's most beautiful daughter, so she expected me to marry a doctor. And I remember I went to Sonoma, I remember when I went to Sonoma State and the whole women's studies, I bought myself a pair of combat boots and I was wearing them. I really, I felt so liberated. I felt so strong with the things that were, were going on. Well, you know, right now we're just, we're just in the absolute middle. Of, a, of this horrific pandemic and, you know, and looking at New York and what's happening there and looking across the globe. But the, this is a woman show and, and we're impacted. I mean, just last week we were listening on Amy Goodman. Uh, one of her staff was pregnant and just the, the, the issue of going to the hospital and having this baby, which most of us, we just do it. And here all of a sudden all this thought and all this fear comes up. So talk a little bit about this virus, you know, what you think, what, what's some of the stuff that's going on now. And also, how is this, how is this affecting women and their well, issues? It's affecting women a lot. The first place, the first way it's affecting women is through our gender assigned and accepted, overwhelmingly, our family responsibilities. 27% of American mothers are single mothers, so they have the total responsibility. But all the other mothers have disproportionate responsibility for child care and now 
children are home from school and parents, mothers are responsible for children's education. Parents, especially mothers who take on more responsibility for children and they're, um, they're not getting much help with this, even though, you know, kids are expected to learn on computers, even if the parents don't have computers, even if their mothers are working outside of the home and the only parent there, even if they're exhausted, even if they don't really have the education to deal with the assignments, and even if they don't even speak English, so that women are in a very difficult position. Their kids are home all day, and they're not used to that. They may not be home all day because they may be working and have to work, and yet they're responsible, and they're also responsible for children's education. Also, women's other gender responsibility is the emotional work of the family. Make sure that everyone in the family, the husband, the children, the husband if he's there, the children are heard comforting them, helping them through what is a plague on our nation. That's not an easy task. As far as men are concerned, although more women than men are unemployed right now, many are home, homebound, and frightened, and a lot of men mask their fear through controlling behavior, which may end up in violence. So battered women are competing with coronavirus victims in emergency rooms when they're hurt and they're stuck with their abuser. Oh. That's really frightening for women. I know and we've been we've been hearing can't comfort their men. We've been hearing we've been hearing a bit about that even in this county. It's been it's been very very interesting. But I understand that even though. There's more, more men. Who's more unemployed? You're saying more women are unemployed right now than men because there's more women. So there's actually more women in the workforce, or how does that work? Well, there's slightly more women in the workforce, but unlike in the last recession, now 6.6 million people file or try to file, although the lines are jammed, for unemployment every week, and. What happens is women are in the majority of work that's closed. They work in restaurants. They work in hotels. They do domestic labor. They do secretarial work. They do retail. These are pink-collar areas. They um, work in the beauty industry. They work as receptionists. And so they are disproportionately affected because... Interacting with the public in a social way is something that employs, those areas employ more women than men. So in the last recession, when the manufacturing sector was most affected, men had more unemployment. Now it's women. And that's a shame because 27% of mothers are single mothers and have to work to support their families. And, well, 60% of mothers with kids under two are in the labor force. Oh, my God. And more like 75% of kids who are 12 and up. So we're talking about serious unemployment for women at the same time as their at-home responsibilities for the soothing of their families and for child care are skyrocketing. 
Well, you know what's so interesting when you when you bring that up. I just just thinking about it. Just it it looks like as women. I mean, look at the response. We're not only responsible for bringing in children into the world, which is a is a big thing to begin with. I remember when I was pregnant, they brought me a special chair so I could stay work. I could stay at work, but they yeah. but they not only bring children into the world, but they are also responsible for oftentimes half of the family's income. Plus, at the same time, I mean, I watch my own daughter who has a company and she comes home she's at dinner all the different things although although some there are some ways that men are cooperating don't don't get us wrong but this is this is kind of an expectation that is put upon women you know i, I remember when the commercials first started coming out you know you had to be beautiful you hear you're going to work with your you know all dressed up in a suit with high heels and you come home and make dinner and take care of the kids and drop them off at daycare and on and on and on so it's really something that women need to be aware of and so the next question I have for you, which is really, I thought it's very interesting. Uh, I want to tell my listeners what I do when I interview people is I generally, I generally ask them to give me a few questions so I get an idea of what they are passionate about. And one of the things that, one of the questions that Harriet sent me is there and where is the, is the, uh, the female uh, leadership, where is that out? And so I thought maybe we could address that. I mean, do you see uh, women emerging? I mean, I personally, I mean, I see a lot. We had many, many women running for a president this year, you know, during the debate. How, how are women fending in this area? Well, women are standing up. It was Katie Porter of Southern California who has the receipts proving that when the COVID virus was starting and Trump was denying it, He sold our supplies of ventilators and protective equipment to other countries because they were raising the prices as he withdrew from the U.N. Pandemic Commission and dissolved what Obama had created as the Pandemic Commission in the United States. He sold our equipment, and she has the receipts showing it. Now, that's leadership, and she's not shy about showing it. Before you go on to anything else, you know, just what you know, there's such a discussion about what Obama had in place and what was what was dropped. What what organization or what was that department called and what happened? The Commission on Pandemic Preparation, which had stockpiled ventilators, masks, shoe covers, protective gowns and so on, which are in dire need and short supply that's why so many nurses are dying you know because he sold those things you mean we had them we had many more than we have now oh my goodness and even now he has Kushner in charge who's medically unqualified and unqualified in any kind of administrative position of the COVID supplies and he says they're all for the federal government no states can have them without applying, and then they're given to states like Florida that love Trump, and not New York and California, which are the biggest states and have the biggest cities and who are against Trump. So this is a travesty. Obama had something in place. Now, of course, it's everyone who's responsible has something in place. We've had SARS, severe, what is it, um, severe acute respiratory syndrome, the MERS, you know, pandemic, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, we've had Zika, we've had um, the one about 
respiratory disease, from air conditioners. We have all sorts of pandemics regularly. And so every responsible government stockpiles supplies, including Obama. Trump sold them because he wanted to dismantle everything from Obama, no matter how useful, and withdrew from the pandemic commission. There was actually a commission? And, you know, it's interesting when yes, your name... there is now, but we're not on it. Oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, I, I just think of my little show going to 19 counties. I mean, let's, let's, do, let's do a phone tree and tell, have people, if you know people in another state, they've got to call the government and say, come on, get off your duff and do something. Well, let, well they let's... They are trying. They are, the government, the governors are trying to do something, but Trump won't buy the supplies federally. So every state has to compete against every other state. And as Cuomo in New York said, masks that used to cost the government of New York 75 cents each now cost $7. People are profiting. And Trump is investing in those profits. Mm, it's so self-serving, it's frightening. It is He's frightening. Also pushing that hydrochloroquine drug, which has killed many people, and makes money because he his family is invested in it and some of his biggest donors are running it so that what has happened is it's capitalism gone mad well and also you know when when you start thinking about women because like i said this is a women's show when you start thinking about it Instead of saying, asking, saying, I like this one, I like that one, why not start looking at what their priorities are? I mean, because what happens in my mind constantly is I recognize that even though we complain about these people, they are still voted in. So something is happening in our culture that we're not making decisions based on something that is going to benefit our children with a capital C, and their future. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And I think part of the problem is a lot of Southern women, his support is in the South and in some states in the Midwest and in rural communities where women tend to vote for what their husband says, although his, the mass of his supporters are white males from rural areas. But I think... Women often leave politics up to their men, which is a big mistake. Plus, the biggest station heard in the United States is Fox News, which is an unabashed adorer of Trump and promulgator of his agenda, no matter how corrupt. Well, it's difficult. Let's hold it at that, because we're going to take a little musical break here. And also, just, just, just to kind of summarize what you're saying at the end, women have to start thinking of the future of their children. You know, mm-hmm. having a child is more than putting a fancy band around its head and Absolutely. saying what a cute kid you are. You know, we really have to think about. So we're going to play, we're going to play a song. This is one of my, one, another one of my favorite songs. Like Harriet, I explained at the beginning that oftentimes I play these songs over several times because I'm trying to get a certain message across. And these, these songs tend to really implicate what I'm trying to say. So we're going to hear a song called, uh, We Are the World. And it's sung by the Countdown Kids. And, you know, this word, this song was, uh, was uh, 
written by Michael Jackson, and it was uh, for a fundraiser for Africa USA when they were having the droughts and they were having so much starvation there. But it has taken on a whole meaning right now by itself, you know, as we are the world. You know, when I think of what's going on in Africa right now with the with the locust and the, the children and then the coronavirus, it's, we have to do something. We have to do something, if not for anything, for the future of the children of the world. I mean, that as a mother, as a great-grandmother, a grandmother, that's that's where I really feel our priorities are. And when we and come after back... After the break, I want to talk about one of the, the greatest leader of all on this virus, who is a woman. Okay, hold woman that thought. Leader. I will. When we return, I will continue my conversation with Dr. Harriet Fraud, who is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York City. She is also a regular guest of Dr. Richard Wolf, who has a show, Economic Update, which I'm proud to say is on KBBF 89.1 FM every Tuesday from 11 to 12. And they, they also have a website. And uh, when uh, we come back, I'll have Harriet discuss that because I think there's some really important shows that she's done that people will really enjoy. And we're going to listen to We Are the World by the Countdown Kids.
We are the world. We are the children. And you know, when I listened to that song, I was sitting here remembering when I was a child how much I depended on the adults to make the world safe for me. I depended on my mother for food. I depended for my father for acknowledging me and for educating me and for letting me know about the world outside of the home and all the different things we as children and as adults we have to stand up it's time and to recognize we are the world we're all the children we all have been children and it's, it's just a very interesting thought anyway welcome back you're listening to women's spaces and i'm your host elaine b holt and without further ado i want to bring back my guest dr harriet fraud welcome back harriet we're back on segment number two and i thank you again for being here well i'm glad to be there and i wanted to tell your listeners about the most inspiring leader in the world right now and the most successful with controlling covid19 and that's Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. They, she is a mother. She, there's a father present, but they're not married. She's, I think she's 34. She's, um, she took the matter in hand. She showed the whole world how to do it. First of all, as soon as she got into office in 2017, she started stockpiling protective equipment because that's what a responsible leader does. They've only had one death from coronavirus in New Zealand. She's tested more people per the population of New Zealand than anybody else. And this March, she had an urgent message, her second message. She gave her country 48 hours to prepare for a total lockdown. She said, we currently have only 102 cases but so did Italy once. From that Wednesday night, everybody had to stay at home for four weeks unless they worked in an essential job, not like Trump, who made essential jobs, residential sports facilities like golf courses with fancy condos, but really essential jobs such as health care or food service. And she... Uh, said, act as if you have COVID-19, because that will save your lives and everyone else's. Let's unite against COVID-19, and they did. She's spoken in very simple languages. Stay home. Don't have contact with anyone outside of your house. Stay in the bubble and be kind. We're all in this together. And so, on the podium of her news conferences, where she usually discusses everything, she really discussed what this is, and people could count on her to tell the truth. She had no complaints about the media, no paranoid rambling of who's against her, no blame shifting, no responsibility ducking or self-aggrandizement. She said, we can do it. And then she gave the people of New Zealand credit for doing it. And now they have no new cases, but she wants the lockdown to continue for two more weeks because you can't be sure. Meanwhile, Trump is saying we don't need any more tests. We've licked it, even though people are dying. New York has to rent more 
uh, refrigerator trucks for the bodies, and the cemeteries are full. Oh my goodness! Thinking of burying people in the parks. Well, you know, we're just we're just you know when when you think about all those things happening, I mean, people have to be going. I I hate to use this word, but I will a little bit nuts. You know, your your mind starts tripping into all kinds of different things. So, talk a little bit. One of the things uh, I was listening to, I was listening to one of your interviews on economic update, and I was really really impressed by it because you were talking about the mental health aspect of it. So let's let's go into that. That a little bit. Harriet, tell me, do you believe we should be providing services at this time? And, and, you know, it's very, very interesting because I just got a recording from my own county where they said that, that if you need mental health counseling or you need something, they gave us some. Well, I really feel our county, I mean, I have to do a shout-out to uh, Sonoma County. I mean, we've really put a, have a handle on it. I mean, I, I mean, as, as life would have it, we've only had two deaths, and I believe at this point we've had 147 people that have actually been hospitalized. I don't know how many people have been, uh, they, there's no record of how many people have been tested. But what, talk a little bit about the mental health aspect and why you think it's important during these times that people have that kind of support and what are some of the things that people what happens what what should people be aware of like if they're at home and all of a sudden how do they know they're even in a mental health crisis well they know because often they're either unemployed which is its own crisis or they are trapped at home and what happens is that they're as frightened as children in a disaster because their leader is completely irrational. People say, how will we know if he ever has dementia? Because he always sounds like it. So that they feel unprotected. Everything is dangerous. You go to the store, you need a mask. You can't be friendly with anybody. You have to watch what you touch. You have to watch to whom you speak and stay six to ten feet away. So everything is dangerous. And people are terrified because there's no leadership, you know, that is responsible and reliable. In New York, Mayor, I mean, Governor Cuomo has risen to the occasion. So has Gavin Newsom in California. But still, people don't know what's going to happen to them or anyone they love. And they're frightened because they're back in the situation of being children with an irrational parent who they can't predict. That's what's happening. Well, it's it's interesting, you know, you know, I don't I, I as much as as much as I dislike what's happening when I see some of these news conferences with the, with our own president and some of the confusion. I mean, there just was a tweet that this Dr. Fozzi that he wants to have him fired because he's the most outspoken one. I mean, it's, it it is frightening. Right. But I I I don't completely and totally blame him. I mean, there's a whole Senate. There's a whole Congress. I mean, I don't understand how they, uh, this is being allowed to happen, especially, I mean, don't people have to go home to their constituents? Aren't people complaining? I mean, what what is stopping this, this machine from doing the right thing? Well, I think one of the things is that a lot of these people believe in him as they would as a serf would believe in the lord of the manor. They come from authoritarian households where they're not supposed to question but obey what their parents say. Like Germany. 
like Germany before the war. Yeah. Child-rearing is very different. Then they go to authoritarian churches in which they're not supposed to question even if they're sexually abused. I mean, isn't that, let me just say something. Don't you think when you talk about these churches, I think it's so interesting that they're encouraging, they say, no, they're for the Easter service. You know, people, it's okay, they're going to come, that God is going to protect them. And I think, and, and one of the things, one of the things that, uh, in this, in the song that we played before, we have a choice. We do. And in, even in the Bible, it says you've been given free will, freedom of choice. And I just don't understand how that doesn't play right now. Well, the authority there is the pastor in Sacramento, right there in California. A third of the cases of coronavirus can be traced to one church service. You're but, kidding. And in um, Kentucky, a pastor said, it is noble to die for Jesus. Come to church. In these mega churches, they don't get money unless the congregation is there and inspired and giving money. And so it has something to do with that. But then they go from authoritarian religions into authoritarian schools where you're good, as you were at home, only if you obey. You're not supposed to ask questions. I remember as a child at PS, which stood for Public School 81 in the Bronx, um, the teacher asked for Yule log customs. Someone said, burning the Yule log. And I said, oh, they'll burn Santa Claus when he comes down the chimney. She grabbed me out of my desk, dragged me to the front of the room, and knocked my head against the blackboard. Oh, my goodness. I made a joke that questioned that tradition. You know, that there are people learn they're good if they obey the authority. And I know my wonderful son-in-law got a call from one of his relatives just to check if he's okay because he lives in New York. And she said, well, it's a difficult time. We have to obey the authority. That's Donald Trump. She lives in Alabama. Oh, my goodness. So if you think that you shouldn't question and you sure don't, and like the president, you don't believe in science, that questions, that asks, that demands proof, then you go along with whatever dictator or leader tells you to, and you think that you'll be okay if you push him. Now, there is opposition, and I hope all those people are defeated in the election if we can ever have one. Well, I want to throw something in here that's very interesting when you're talking about your childhood. On my experience was, and Mrs. Wark never forgot her, <laughs> who slammed you know, clay on me because she said I didn't have the right idea about a tree the way I was drawing it. But she wrote on my report card to my mother, Elaine should understand that children should be seen and not heard. So all you ladies out there, just remember that, that that was on my report card. But as you can tell, it didn't stop Harriet and I. Harriet, time goes by so fast. There's a thousand things I want to talk about. But at the last moment of this segment, we have about maybe... Two, two and a half minutes. What are some of the ideas that you have that, you know, what would, what would you like to see as an end, an end result that's happening with this isolation, losing jobs and companies? And I imagine, you know, it's really weakening the nonprofits. You know, what, what, you know, what, what are some of your ideas at this point that maybe would be very helpful, not only, not only for our government, but what people can do, be, you know, as long as, as, besides calling and doing different things. What are some of your ideas? 
Well, first of all, people have to remember that even though we're on edge, we have to be kind to one another and not let the disasters that the plague has under our terrible leadership has vented upon us, but remember to cherish one another the and our children, even if they're underfoot and getting us more annoyed and we have more responsibility for them. But in the wider world, we have to be heard. And people are, the Amazon workers are protesting and walking out, although with six feet between them to protest that they're working in unsafe conditions and at bad salaries employed by the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos. People are walking out in grocery stores. Nurses are refusing to go back on the floor unless they have protective gear. They're in the break room and they won't leave. We have to say we're not going to allow ourselves to be sacrificed, to literally sacrifice our lives in order to allow unjust systems to continue. And we have to question and we have to know that just because somebody's in authority, they're not necessarily right. The Internet is still working. We have to get on. We have to inform ourselves and not just obey blindly because our president tells us things. Since he tells us contradictory things, you know, that does indicate that, whoa, better not do this, but that we have to save our nation and our lives. We have the most deaths of any nation. China has already no new cases. Cuba has no new cases. They had maybe one or two deaths in Cuba because they have a doctor for every 11 people. And What I'm going to do now is I'm going to have to ask you, because we're right almost down to the wire, if you could just give folks your website and any information how they can get a hold of you. My website is harrietfraud.com, H-A-R-R-I-E-1-T, F-R, two A's, A-A-D, Dot com. My podcast, Capitalism Hits Home, can be found if you just go on the Internet and plug in Capitalism Hits Home or on my website or on Democracy at Work or just plugging it into the Internet. And I did do my last podcast on COVID-19. Well, Dr. Harriet Fraud, I want to thank you. That I is it. That is it for our show. A special thank you to Dr. Harriet Fraud, who is a psychotherapist and hypnotherapist in private practice in New York City. She is a founding member of the feminist movement. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. This is Elaine B. Holtz. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 13th, 2020.